You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, everyone. Great to be here with you all. Just um, feeling a real sense of the the weight and the privilege and the responsibility of sharing tonight. Um, Such a profound time of worship. Um, God speaking so clearly and so powerfully. I love those prophetic contributions that came through. Um, with God really kind of cutting through and grabbing hold of our hearts. I trust that you um, took note of what God was saying during the worship time and, and, and as it applied to you. And I, and I hope, I trust, I pray that what I want to share tonight is going to add momentum to that, is going to continue to contribute to that. I, I love that word that, that, that was brought you know, by Kanisha, but God. And, and I hope my sermon tonight um, as she was sharing that, I feel like my sermon tonight is the explanation of what that means, of what the but God means. Um, I want us to turn, if we can, to the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be doing, um, don't be overwhelmed by this or intimidated by this, but we're going to be doing a little bit of a Bible study starting in Isaiah 56, and we're going to be working all the way through to chapter 62. Um, Brett, if you can put the first slide up, um, the picture, if you don't mind. Um, just the next slide, if you don't mind. So this uh, picture you may have seen before. Um, I'm, I'm no doubt, pro- probably not in person, but you've probably seen this picture before. It's a picture called Haystacks, and it's painted by a French Impressionist artist called Claude Monet. In fact, it's uh, one of a series of 25 paintings that he did, um, painting the exact same haystacks from different angles and Uh, at different times of the day and in different seasons. So 25 different paintings of the exact same haystacks. Um, The Art Institute in Chicago actually has six of these. And uh, I found an article the other day that just one of them sold for $110 million. Just one sold for $110 million. Chicago's Art Institute has six of them. We're going to be doing something similar tonight to what Claude Monet did, but we're going to be doing an overview of Isaiah 56 to 62. And instead of looking at 25 pictures of haystacks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at seven different pictures, uh, uh, seven different snapshots of something far more valuable than Impressionist art and far more important than haystacks. We're We're going to be looking at the community that God is building the community of his people that are called to carry his glory. Um, Before we jump into this, I I do think think it's important just to explain real quickly, um, just a little bit of understanding of how Old Testament prophecy typically typically works, because this is what this is. It's an Old Testament prophetic word from a prophet by the name of Isaiah, um, and we need to understand that because it does have implication on us as the people of God and also how we read a text like this. And the best way I can explain it is think about taking a photograph with a camera. If you use a camera, you will focus uh, the, the lens on the subject that you're taking a photograph of. Um, and so while the subject might be in focus, the things behind the subject aren't in focus, but they're there. And that's a great kind of picture, I think, of trying to understand how Old Testament prophecy works. 
Generally speaking, the, uh, the, the subject matter for an Old Testament prophet is some crisis that the people of God are in. And in this case, the crisis that is facing the people of God is the people of Judah have been exiled to Babylon. But God is speaking to the people of God and he is promising that he is going to return them to Jerusalem. He's going to rescue them from Babylon and return them to Jerusalem. And he's going to create this community of his people, a people that carry his glory. But the texts that we're going to look at, Isaiah 56 to 62, look beyond that. They actually look to a time in which we are living right now. They look to a time when uh, it speaks of a, a time when the people of God are now represented by the church of Jesus Christ. Represented by local churches that, that gather in the name of Jesus and are built upon the word of Jesus and gather in the presence of Jesus and are opposing the spirit of Babylon and are building the city of God wherever they are planted in our respective cities. But even... It points even beyond that as well. It points to a time that is described in the book of Revelation. A time when the church of Jesus Christ, people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue, a, a, a gathering that has already started in heaven, but a time at the culmination of the age when the community of God will come together to worship Jesus at his throne. And so as we look at these seven different pictures of the community of God, the reason I described it as a description of the but God is some of you here tonight might be thinking, but my church is not like this. Or my life is not like this. Or my, how is it possible that my city or my church could ever look something like this? And I want to say what Kanisha said, but God. This is the picture that he describes of his church. And if we are trusting to build something of our own making, we are falling well short of God's plan and purpose. We need to look to what God wants to build and trust that he will do it as we submit and surrender ourselves to him. There's a beautiful, um, this dropped into my heart while that but God word was coming, but uh, in John chapter two, when Jesus goes with his disciples to the wedding feast in Cana, and we know the story when they run out of wine, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do, to which I always like to add, even if it doesn't make sense. Do whatever he tells you to do, even if it doesn't make sense. And the key for experiencing the but God the key for stepping into the but God, the things that don't make sense is to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. And I'm hoping tonight that we're gonna see seven different pictures of the community of God's people, things that you can trust, that you can experience, and that your church can become, even if it doesn't make sense right now. And so the first one we're gonna look at is and we're going to just work our way through this. Um, you want, you might, if you want to take a few notes, otherwise I can share these notes with you at some later point. But we're just going to do seven quick snapshots of what the church of Jesus Christ, what the, the community that God is building, the community that carries God's glory. And the first one is found in chapter 56 and verses 1 through 8. And, and Jesus wants his church, Jesus wants your church to be a place where anyone can enter and discover that God is closer than they think. 
And this essentially is the theme of the last few chapters in the book of Isaiah, that God actually is closer than they think. And the way that Isaiah goes about describing this is he speaks to the very heart of people who feel furthest away from God. Verse 3 says, let no foreigner, let no outsider who is bound to the Lord, in other words, who, who follows the Lord, let no outsider, no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree or in some translations, I am damaged goods. If you've ever felt like an outsider, if you've ever felt like damaged goods beyond the Lord being able to repair you, you know that you have to fight the temptation to believe that God will exclude you from his purposes. And what God is trying to tell us, what God wants us to know is that even though you might feel that way at times, there are people around you who feel like that all the time. And God wants us to know, God wants his church to become a place where the kingdom of God expressed through our church makes sure that no one is considered an outsider and no one would ever believe that they are damaged goods beyond repair. Look at verse one, salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. The salvation that God is promising is freedom from the slavery and freedom from the striving of Babylon. The, the, sin, the belief that we have to work hard in order for God to accept us. It's why Isaiah is able to prophesy in chapter 30, he says, listen to this, in repentance and in rest is your salvation. In quietness and in trust, is your strength. The Gospels don't often describe, or don't often uh, describe uh, uh, the same story in all four in all four Gospels. But there is one account that is described in all four stories, and that is the account where Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem and drives out everyone and everything that is preventing anyone from coming in to experience the presence and the power of God. And the way he justifies that, his righteous anger, is by quoting verse 7 of chapter 56, when he says, for my house will be a house of prayer for all people. And so friends, we're not just called to pray for people. We're called to pray for all people, which means taking down the no entry signs that might be on our hearts or over our lives that are preventing people from coming, coming into his presence and replacing that with signs that say you are welcome and that there is rest in this place. Jesus wants his church and he wants he wants our churches to be a place where anyone can enter and realize that God is closer than they think. Over to chapter 57, if we can. People of Judah um, often talked about the temple that was in Jerusalem as the dwelling place of God, but they knew that this was symbolic language and it was reinforced when King Solomon dedicated the temple. He praised this in 1 Kings chapter 8. He says, will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. But in chapter 57 verse 15, God answers 
Solomon's question by proclaiming a a new and better promise. Listen to this in verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And I think the two key words, well, the three key words are are holy and, and lowly but also the word also. Look at verse 15 and how it starts. The high and exalted one whose name is holy. If you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, that sounds very similar to this uh, incredible vision that Isaiah in chapter six, he describes this vision in chapter six that he has of the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And we have to acknowledge, friends, that the the, the God that we worship, Jesus Christ, is high and exalted. He is transcendent. He is holy and seated on the throne. And it can make us think that he is far too lofty for those of us who are lowly. But the second half of verse 15 drives home the point that Isaiah wants us to grasp, that God is close, that God is closer than we think. He, God is so attracted to humility that he's knocking on the door of our hearts and he's ready to enter to, into the lives of anyone who is willing to repent and to confess their sin and acknowledge their weakness. And so the reality is that normal people, ordinary people like you and me can suddenly become the second home of the Lord Almighty. And we begin to realize that although God is holier than we think, he is most definitely closer than we think. And so the second point, that I, the second picture of the church that I, that I believe this book wants to paint for us is that it, God wants his church to be a place where people can experience his tangible presence. Where people can experience his tangible presence. But look at verse 14. This, this vision of, of, of God's community that can experience his glory comes with a challenge. Verse 14 says, whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. And so this promise of God dwelling with us comes with the challenge of us humbling ourselves, of us being lowly and contrite in spirit and acknowledging our need to take refuge in the presence of God. We need to be a people that are crying out for God to fill us with his presence. We need to be a people that are crying out for God to fill his church with his presence. But we must remember this. We cannot be full of God and full of the Holy Spirit while we're full of ourselves. We need to humble our hearts. Jesus wants his church and Jesus wants our churches to be a place where people can experience his tangible presence. Let's flip over to chapter 58. Last October, I was listening to a podcast on a, a show called Freakonomics, and the title of the particular episode that I was listening to was an episode about the future of cities, 
And uh, like many of you, um, I, we too live in a city. We live in downtown Chicago. And uh, I was quite intrigued considering all that we've gone through over the last kind of year plus. I was quite intrigued by this episode to kind of learn like, you know, what is the future of, of cities? And, and, and as I'm listening to this, I kid you not, this is what is happening. So we live in a, in a, small, a small condo in downtown Chicago and my son is, uh, is a drummer. He's got an electric drum kit, but you know, if you've ever heard an electric drum kit, it's, it's still quite noisy. So I'm sitting here at my desk, and I, I kid you not, Cade is literally here on his electric drum set. While I'm preparing this message, he's right here banging away on his drums, like just wailing crazily on his drums. So I'm feeling a little tight, and I'm feeling a little constricted, and acknowledging that the challenge of the city is that you sometimes lack a little bit of space. And while I'm writing all of this that I'm telling you, I hear two gunshots literally on the street corner down below. And I'm suddenly realizing like, what is the future of a city? And suddenly the idea of living in the country where all of this can be swept away and we don't have to be on top of one another and we don't have to put ourselves in harm's way. And we don't have to face the challenges that all of us have faced in the last while if we go and live with our family where space is unlimited and it's as quiet as anything. But friends, the answer, I say all of that to say the answer to the challenges of a city is not no city. It's a new city. The challenges to all the, the the, the answer to all the challenges that we face of living in a city is not no city but a new city. I want you to put that picture up if you can. This is a, a picture that um, is shown around Christian. I hope you're getting nostalgic. Christian uh, is from Chicago. Um, so wherever there are roadworks in Chicago, they put up this sign, building a new Chicago. And I don't think the city realizes just what an incredibly prophetic statement that actually is. And I want you to, to scratch out the word Chicago and place your city's name right there. Because that's what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us to flee Babylon. He's called us to build a new city and to push back the spirit of Babylon. We are building a new Chino. We are building a new East LA. We are building a new Pasadena or whatever city you live in. But it comes with some subtext. Building a new whatever by showing the world what it looks like when Jesus is king. That's the call that we have on our lives. That's the call that is on the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus wants his church, Jesus wants our church to be a countercultural city, a countercultural gathering of people within the city in which we live. And verse and chapter 58 starts with the Lord challenging the people of Judah, challenging us about the way that they fast. And he says, you know, abstinence is good. In our case, it might be abstinence from food, fasting from technology. But what, what the Lord says to the people of Judah, what he says to us is it's, it's, it's all good and right, you, you, you and I abstaining from food, for example. But if we continue to live the way that the city lives, we're not actually going to bring about the change that Jesus wants to make. Look at verse six and seven. He, he, he wants to show us a different way, a way of, of uh, abstaining from earth's food so that we can feast on heaven's riches. Verse six says, is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen? 
to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And so how does God want us to live? God wants us to to live in a way where we don't have to copy the way of Babylon and strive to, to grab hold of things because we're afraid we're not going to make our way in life. But when we can live with open hands because we know we have access to heaven's riches because of the sacrifice of Jesus. To know that we can give away to others who don't have, not expecting that we get something in return because God is our provider. And to know that when we're faced with the challenges of of family and people around us placing demands on us, it's actually an opportunity for us to lean into the Spirit and to begin to show the love of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son. That's the example that Jesus, that's the way that Jesus wants us to live. And so as we give and as we serve and as we comfort and as we heal around us, those around us like the Lord would want us to, look at verse 8. There's a promise. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then verse 11, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You see, friends, when we become tight-fisted and hold on to the blessing that God has given us, counterintuitively, we actually become a dry and an arid river that's, that's got nothing to give. But when we open our hands, we become this bubbling uh, a brook, this well that keeps on, keeps on giving. One of my favorite comedians is an English guy called uh, Michael McIntyre. And some of you may or may not know about him, but he's this really quirky, really funny guy. And he does this, he does this bit about vacuum cleaners. And he talks about the, the way that we, we vacuum the floor. Like he says, there are two strategies. You plug it in and you, you either walk lines up and down a rug, um, which some of us do, or you, t- you stand your ground and you just vacuum around you like that. And he's like, there's two ways to do the vacuum. And I'm sure you can identify with that. But then he goes, he says, there always comes a time when you have to use the hose. You know that little hose kind of connection. And he says, for some reason, no matter how often you use the vacuum cleaner, you always pause for a moment and then you always kind of like hose yourself for a second, you know, just to, just to kind of, you know, and he, and it's, he goes, it's hilarious, far funnier than I've just described. But the point is, as soon as you take that hose of a vacuum cleaner and turn it on itself, on yourself, it loses its effectiveness. And I think that's a, that's the picture that God is wanting us to to, to, to understand as soon as God blesses us and as soon as we turn that blessing in onto ourselves, we begin to lose the effectiveness that God wants us to have to the people around us. Friends, listen to this. And I've had to learn this lesson. Self-sufficiency and self-reliance is not God's intent for our lives. God never intended to bless us only for us to turn that blessing into a, into a hard-hearted, arrogant self-sufficiency self and self-dependence. God wants us to open our hands and to bless others. And when that happens, we start, look at verse 12. We, we, God opens up positions of influence and we begin to build the walls and we begin to build the streets of the city in which we live. 
If you are chasing after a promotion at work, let me tell you, you may get it, but it's not going to necessarily come with the, with the power and the impact that may come is instead if we trust God and bless those around us and allow God to open up those opportunities for promotion. Then we get the promotion and the blessing that comes with it and the opportunity to have impact and influence on people around us. We need to open our hands to the blessing that God has poured into our lives. He wants uh, us to, to his, this is his church, to build a countercultural city within a city. But we need to remember this too, that God transforms cities by transforming people. And let's look at chapter 59. And verse 1 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. We need to hear this, that God's arm has not grown too tired to save. His ability to save, his ability to heal, his desire to heal is as strong as ever. And, but we have to then ask ourselves, then why aren't we seeing the breakthrough and the healings and the revival and the blessing? Is it, is it because God is, is being stingy? Not according to verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. And so the fourth picture that I want to present as to the, the community that God is building is that Jesus wants his church to be a place where his people are committed to living righteously. He wants his, his church to be a community where people are committed to living righteously. And in case you feel uncomfortable about that diagnosis that God has just given, we don't have time to do this, but start reading from verse 3 to verse 15. And God, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, lists the sins that, that are separating us from God and what they produce. And at the very end, in verse 15, he has this assessment. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Doesn't that sound like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, where he cries out in desperation, is, is there no one who is righteous? Is there no one able to save? There is no one righteous, he says. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. But we all know there's good news, isn't there? Because God steps in through the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. So, in, so his own arm achieved salvation for him. By faith in Jesus, we are both declared righteous and made righteous. I mean, I wish I had an hour just to preach on that. We are proclaimed and declared righteous by the Lord God Almighty because of our faith in Jesus and we are made righteous by our faith in him. It's only in Jesus that we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. It is only in Jesus that the grace of God and the kindness of God work together to produce Christ-likeness within us. And if all of that wasn't enough, God sends his Holy Spirit to make us holy. What an incredible God we serve. God wants his, uh, his church to be a place where people are committed to living righteously. And it doesn't come by dogged self-effort. 
It comes by resting in the gospel. It comes by trusting in the complete and finished work of the cross and knowing that the Lord Almighty has anointed his people with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And in him, by the grace of God and the kindness of God, we say no to sin and yes to righteousness. That's the good news. Let's turn to chapter 60. We nearly finished. In the months leading up to D-Day in World War II, General Patton would often say this in his speeches. He says, I don't want to get any messages saying, this is speaking about his, the force of the American forces. I don't want to get any messages about saying I'm holding my position. We are not holding anything. Let the enemy do that. We are advancing constantly. We are not interested in holding onto anything except the enemy. And I would say if that's true of the army of the US forces, let that be true of the church of Jesus Christ. And so the fifth picture that I believe God wants us to grab hold of tonight is that the church of Jesus Christ is a church that is advancing constantly and aggressively. And friends, just as Jesus has rescued us and saved us through his death and res resurrection on the cross, the victory that Jesus has attained for us is ours in him. Verse one, arise, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but, there it is again, Kanisha, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. And friends, when we, when we grasp, when we get a glimpse of the scope and the scale of Jesus's victory for us, we will do, we can do nothing but lack, but we, we, we can do nothing but want to advance in all that God has for us. And godly ambition will rise up within us. Look at verse 22. The least of you will be a thousand. The smallest a mighty nation. And I use that word ambition intentionally. Sometimes we can get nervous with that word ambition. We think that selfish ambition is sinful. Yes, selfish ambition is sinful, but not because of the word ambition, because of the word selfish. We need to be a people who are ambitious for the things of God. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What are you doing for God, doing for God? What are you doing for God? What are you in faith to see God do through you individually and as a church? Is it God-sized? Is it God-sized? Is it something that you can possibly do in your own strength and with your own resources? Or is it really stretching you to the point of, Lord, if you don't come through, do you desperately need God? Is what you are doing worthy of the victory that Jesus attained for us on the cross? Are we settling for anything less than what Jesus won for us on the cross? He wants his church to advance constantly and aggressively. Chapter 61. Luke chapter 4 describes the moment where Jesus walks into the synagogue and grabs hold of the scroll and begins to read from the prophet Isaiah. You know, most of you, I'm sure, if not all of you, I'm sure, are familiar with that, that passage. 
And he reads from this text in Isaiah chapter 61. And so what Jesus is doing is he's declaring not only a mission statement, but God's mission statement. And God's mission statement is this, is that in Jesus there is deep and lasting transformation by the Holy Spirit that leads to deep and lasting joy. That's God's mission statement. In Jesus there is deep and lasting transformation that leads to deep and lasting joy. And remember, Jesus lived this out. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit and was baptized in the Holy Spirit and came out under the power of the Holy Spirit and declared in Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He was showing us a life lived, a transformed life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Isaiah chapter 61 promises that the Holy Spirit will make the poor rich because he empowers humble hearts to lay hold of the riches of heaven. And he makes brokenhearted, the brokenhearted joyful because the Spirit of God drives away the spirit of despair. And he leads Satan's prisoners out of dungeons into the glorious lights of the gospel. And he picks people out of the dust and ashes of their sin and lifts them up to reign with Jesus forever. And he removes the cloaks of of heaviness and dresses them with the garments of praise. I love Isaiah chapter 61. And I think that this idea of the total transformation of people is best seen in verse 3. The bottom, the very end of verse 3, he talks about they will be called oaks of righteousness. Verse four, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Who is the they? It's those who've been transformed. It's the people at your places of work and it's the people that you encounter in the stores and it's the people in your, it's your family members who don't know Jesus right now. But as they come to know the Lord and as they receive the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, they will become the oaks of righteousness that are planted for the display of the Lord's glory and they will become the city builders of the city of God that is pushing back the spirit of Babylon. There is no one that is beyond the arm of the Lord to save. There is no one that is beyond the heart of God to rescue. As I said in the beginning, we need to remove those no entry signs from our hearts. And make a place where everyone is welcome and so that they can encounter the the reality of the Lord and know that he is closer than they think. That brings us to 62. Before we do that, I want to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. I want to do a quick review. And I trust that God has spoken to some of you tonight, hopefully all of you, in some way or another. And I'm just going to read real quickly the first six pictures that I've described tonight. And I'm just going to allow, hopefully allow and trust for the Holy Spirit just to highlight one or maybe two uh, uh, things that, are, that, that he wants you to just respond to. Jesus' vision for his church. Jesus' vision for your church is where anyone can enter and realize that he is closer than they think. And so we need to remove those no entry signs. He wants his church to be a place where we can experience his tangible presence. We must become less so that he can become more. That we are a countercultural city within a city. We need to show others what it looks like when Jesus is king. That we are committed to living righteously. That we are saying no to ungodliness by the grace of God. 
that we are advancing constantly and aggressively, that we're not settling for anything less than what Jesus paid for on the cross, and that we are a place where the Holy Spirit transforms lives, because transformed lives transforms a city. And that brings us to 62, and with this we're gonna land. Jesus wants his church, Jesus wants your church and my church to be a church that prays big prayers. A church that prays big prayers. And that's what Isaiah chapter 62 it begins with. It begins with Isaiah admitting that he cannot keep silent while the people are failing to live in the fullness of God's promises. And friends, that statement alone should, should stir our hearts to pray. While we are living anything short of God's best, we should be crying out to God. And in chapter, in verses two through five, he uh, describes that in Jesus's name, we've been given a new name that carries his power and authority, that we are his beautiful bride and an object of his delight and that he rejoices over, over us. And so what Isaiah does is he, he, he begins to pray that we would be like watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem, praying for the fruitfulness of the gospel, that people would, would, become, would stream in to the kingdom of God along the highways of salvation. He wants his church to pray big prayers. I've said a lot, and I've asked you to absorb a lot, and I know that this might be quite overwhelming, all the information that I've given you, but just like, if you can go back to that haystacks picture, if you don't mind, just like that haystacks picture, my experience has been at the Art Institute of Chicago, I've gone back to that picture time and time again, and I've stood before it, and I've seen different things. Friends, you're not gonna get everything that God wants to say to you in one 40-minute sermon from a guy from Chicago. I wanna invite you to go back to Isaiah 56 through 62. Read it again and again and again over the months and years that are ahead and ask God to give you a picture of what his church looks like. When Claude Monet painted haystacks, he painted 25 of them. And he did not intend for six to end up in the Art Institute of Chicago and for one to be bought by a private investor and four to end up in a, in a museum in, in France. He intended the 25 to go together. And I fear that sometimes when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, we have these seven snapshots, although there's a whole lot more. And what we tend to do is we tend to pick our favorites. And we take that out and we say, yeah, there's 25, but I just want this one. And I'm, this is the way we're going to build our church. It's not the way Jesus wants his church to be built. There are many of us, including myself, who have a lot of opinions of what our church should look like and what our church should do. And I'm just as guilty as this. But if there's one thing that you go home with tonight... In order to see our cities transformed, in order for the but God to become a reality, is that our opinions for our church need to be subservient to his vision for his church. Our opinions for our churches need to be subservient to his vision for his church. And that's when we can pray Isaiah chapter 62 Verse six and seven, Lord, may we give ourselves 
no rest. And may we give you no rest until you establish your church and make her the praise of the earth as you promised to do. Let's pray that tonight for our churches. Maybe we can end that way. I know Deb says something that are on her heart. So I'm going to ask Deb just to come up and share. And then we're going to go into just a short moment of prayer. Maybe we can end off with a song, Jody. Is that, is that okay? All right. Um, God often speaks to me with uh, nature and pictures that I see. And on the way here, uh, we drove past a giant sunflower. It was massive. But the head was completely drooped over. Um, but the, the size of it, like it wasn't a small head. It was almost like a soccer ball size. And I just felt God draw my attention to it. So I actually got here and I just looked up why sunflowers droop. And it says this, when a sunflower's head has completely bloomed, when it's been pollinated and becomes heavy with seed, then it is perfectly normal for the head to bend over and to droop down. The heaviness is one thing and the reason for it is so the seeds can fall to the ground so that they can nestle there and grow the following year. And just that phrase, heavy with seed, just struck me. And I felt like tonight, um, just in line of what Steve has preached, um, I also read that when it becomes heavy like that, it needs support. And sometimes you need to drive a stake into the ground and just wrap it loosely so that it has something to support it. And I felt like the churches, like individually, I believe it's a word for us, but as churches, as a community, that stake, I feel like, um, represents one another. And that as you grow, um, as you get heavy with seed, you need that community, you need that support, you need that stake in the ground. And then also in light of Steve saying, for us to become less, Sometimes we want to look like that beautiful sunflower that's perfectly blooming and the, the leaves are green and perky and the, the flower part is yellow. But this one was drooped down, but it was drooped down because it was heavy with seed. And, you know, in order for us to become less, we need to sometimes realize that Jesus gets the attention, but even in that, what he's doing is making us heavy with seed as we become less. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage you with that. Two things. If you feel droopy, <laughs> if you feel like your season is done and you've fully bloomed, you know, it's not done. God's got more that you're heavy with seed. And if you just allow him to... Um, let you stand in that place, to let you fully develop, to let those seeds fall to the ground and nestle, you would have done all he's called you to do. And then also for you as community churches, just to encourage you, lean on one another. Um, as you grow, as you become heavy with seed, you're going to need one another. So I just want to leave you. Okay. Yeah, Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. Uh, we do sense that it is just heavy with potential. Lord God, you are, you are here. You're speaking. Even now, Lord God, I just ask in Jesus' name for 
you to give us your eyes to see, your mindset, your perspective. So often, Father, we see things and we, we jump to conclusions or we think like the flesh. But you are so much more. And you're doing so much more, Father. And you're always working. You're always working. You are not a God of coincidence. You are a God of purpose. And so I pray, Father, for those who feel like, Lord, that they've fully bloomed and their season is done and they're, they're, they're heavy, Lord God, and they, and they just feel that weight, Lord God. I just ask in Jesus' name that you would show them what you're doing. God, what you're doing. Oh, Lord, would you redeem where the enemy has lied. Father, what you're actually doing is bringing life. You are bringing life. So, Father, I pray for that even now. Give us the eyes to see. Oh, Lord, I pray for clarity. Breakthrough that fog and that mist where the devil just wants to cloud and confuse oh God would you bring light would you speak would you reveal and would you show us that you are actually at work and you are a God of hope and you are a God of life, and you are a God of joy, and you are a God of restoration, and you are a God of redemption. And just as we heard tonight, no one is beyond your reach, and you will always bring hope, always. It is who you are, you can be no other. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Thank you for the life that will come from this time. Thank you for the life, Lord God, those seeds that will fall to the ground. Thank you, Lord God, for your people who are heavy with seed, heavy with life, heavy with purpose, heavy with your plans. Thank you, God. Come and do it. Thank you, Lord. Just feel that word that Kanisha brought was so key to this evening. But God, but God. I was just thinking as she was sharing it, that uh, text in the, the Gospel of Mark about blind Bartimaeus, where he cries out, Son of David, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus eventually says to him, what, what do you want me to do? Tell me, what do you want me to do? I feel God is wanting us to ask, answer that question tonight. We've heard so much 
tonight and had such our faith stirred tonight about the church and the churches of Jesus Christ represented here. But I feel like God is just tapping on hearts this evening. What do you want me to do? What is on the other side of answering that question but God? Just before we go into a time of worship, just to end tonight, I just want to ask you, just in the next 30 seconds, right where you're seated, just begin to express that to the Lord. What do you want me to do? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. to invite you to stand if you're willing to stretch your legs and worship Jesus just for a little bit. I, I know it's getting about that time. We will have some refreshments after. I hope you guys can hang out. And uh, But if you do need to go, we understand you guys got to get back and there is service um, in all of your respective places. <clears throat> Advancing aggressively really stood out to me. <laughs> it's transpired everyone's wanting to get back to what was when we we look at Lot's wife she was trying to hold on to what was and she looked back longingly right and friends I really believe that God is asking us to look at this new thing that he is building today and to be a part of it stop looking back longingly what was Behold, I am doing a new thing, a new thing. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. As we worship with the song, I want you guys to allow the Lord to minister to you. As it ends, we're going to just kind of softly close. I'm not going to come back up and say, hey, you're dismissed. Um, you guys can hang out, enjoy the refreshments. Please get to know each other. If you don't know someone in here, come and introduce. But we're just going to worship with this, with this last song. We love you, Jesus. If you love the Lord, let's just lift our hands to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it lands on good soil. On good soil. On good soil, Lord. We pray that those who are here today that needed to be strengthened and encouraged will leave with their heads lifted high, knowing that they are children of God, sons and daughters connected to this beautiful thing called the church, the only thing that you are building on this planet. Have your way. Have your way in Jesus' name.
is who you are.